0: This is Unleashing Leadership, and I'm your host, Travis Moss, and we are back in the infinite game with Simon Siddick, and today we're going to talk about whether or not we are control addicts. Leaders suffering from foundersitis, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, are categorically control addicts. They are acting in ways that bring them comfort. For the most part, they're looking for personal stability. key being personal. It's about them. They're using the business as a tool for their own vanity. It's like they want to create consistency and weathering for their own personal life, not for the business. They actually will leach the life out of the business and transpose that energy over to their personal life. You don't actually have to be a founder to be a control addict. Obviously, we've all had bosses or managers or even employees or team members or family members that are control addicts. It's just we're kind of following the same thought as we started from a couple episodes ago. The scary thing, though, is being a control addict is just a natural self-survival mechanism. <clears throat> control addicts they, they do it, they, they're controlling because they don't like surprises. They don't like things they can't control. They get confused or frustrated or even depressed when things don't work out the way they were supposed to. In quotes, they're supposed to. Because everything's always supposed to be a certain way. They like to be able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow or next month because that's really how they're defining themselves. It's how they're projecting themselves. It's how they're comparing themselves. They like to show that they have control because that's where their self-importance comes from. Look at my title. Look at who I am. I'm important. They're also finite thinkers. They're not very complex thinkers. They're, They're pretty finite. They're stuck in the complicated realm. There's only one way to do this and there's one way to be involved. If they don't know everything, they can't move forward or they're going to tie stuff up in bureaucracy, stupid, you know, issues. They'll, they'll take the smallest, most insignificant issue and make it basically a showstopper. They only respond to what they know and they discount abilities as if they know everything. Instead of trying to score by adjusting what's happening on the field by saying, oh my gosh, at halftime, look what happened. You know, look what they were doing. We should adjust our strategy. They just basically go into trying to win by preventative defense. <clears throat> like I said, it's a human condition. And the condition is driven by fear and greed. If you're a control ad- addict and you say you're not afraid or you say you're not greedy, you're not aware of yourself and where this stuff is coming from because it comes from fear and greed. And I don't know how to cure it. But I found that it also travels with other personal issues like arrogance, foundersitis, narcissism, and of course finite thinking. So there are people out there who brag. They're like, I'm a control addict. I love being a control addict. Okay. You're an arrogant SOB then. Lay off the control. Are you a narcissist? No, I'm not a narcissist. And stop being a control addict. Get yourself in line. Understand where you can contribute and how you can contribute and get out of the way. There's a difference, too, between a manager or a leader who is trying to solve a real problem. Therefore, they have to take control for a period of time and somebody who's an actual control addict. And sometimes we unfairly paint people as control addicts. Oh, they're just being controlling. <clears throat> or they love to take over. Listen, there may be a situation where there's a team or an individual or a part of a company or something, or even in a family, where somebody is inadequately running the company and doesn't have the skills to improve the situation. And it's really a dire situation. Somebody needs to step in and provide that support while they're rebuilding the system around the person or around new leadership to allow it to flourish in the future. There's a difference between responding to something that's not working and not actually looking forward to it, doing it almost begrudgingly, like, I'm here, I need to help you, Um, but, you know, this is your job, and we need to work on what it's going to take for you to get better at this so that I don't have to come help again. There's a difference between that and somebody who is um, proactive in taking over something, even if you're doing a good job, and they just can't resist the impulse. They just they, they got to take it over, even if they're not. They don't even have any of the prerequisites to do a good job at it. The first one I talked about there, that's an obligation to help. It's my obligation to help you get to the next level. It's my obligation to help the team. It's my obligation to make sure that people don't get hurt because of a safety violation or a compliance issue. The other one is a calling to take over. Get out of the way. I can do it better myself. I don't need anybody else's help. I'll just do all the work myself. All right, so in my experience, um, one of the ways to sort out if you... Have a leader or manager, or if you are a leader or manager who is just trying too hard and you're just trying to step in just to fix something and get out of the way, or if you are in fact dealing with or are a control addict, ask about company culture. Or if it's you, think about company culture. I'm going to give you a second uh, before I I give you kind of what the answers are going to be because. I want to know if you're thinking, am I a control addict, what's the first thing you think of? From a control addict, you're going to get one of two answers. Everyone is lazy and doesn't do their jobs, and nobody helps me. Or, the second answer, we have the best culture. My people would follow me anywhere. That's typically the nature of what you're going to get from a control addict. And I'll explain that in a minute. From someone who is just trying really hard, or just stepping in to fix things, who's not a control addict, when you ask them about company culture, they're going to say things like, <clears throat> we're very close to a breakthrough, and I cannot wait to see, to get so-and-so to the next level. Or they're going to say something like, I didn't realize some of our challenges. I should have sooner. Now I feel like we have some great opportunities ahead of us. So the difference between those two, and and you might say, well, you know, I was thinking the first one of those first questions, but I didn't mean it like that. There's obviously nuances here, but the control addict is going to be overly broad when talking about culture. And it's going to be about them. It's going to centralize on them. Like the world is revolving around them. The non-control addict is going to be very nuanced and specific about little pieces that they're doing to make the culture better. But they kind of revolve around other people who are other things, not necessarily around the, the manager in the middle. It's around the things that the manager is doing. Weak cultures are defined by people who hold others back. They're defined, really, by control addicts. Strong cultures are defined by people who look at every situation as a way to propel people forward. I don't want to take your job and do it for you. I want to teach you how to do it better. Control acts consider challenges as threats. Anything they don't know is a threat to them. Good leaders are embracing challenges as opportunities. What can we do with this?